my shoes and out the door. Five, I'm alive, six, seven, eight, feeling great. Hello, BYWG Tribe. Here is a quick peek at our supplement product and book of the month for February 2020. At the end of the podcast, I will spend a few minutes going into further detail, so we encourage you to listen to the end. The supplement of the month for February 2020 is Vitamin D3 Boost. This is our newest advanced formulation, combining all the benefits of Vitamin D3, Vitamin K2, Magnesium, and MCT oil. The 10% discount code for the entire month is, and it's all lowercase, VITD10. The product of the month for February is Juve, Red Light Therapy Devices. I personally own the Juve Mini and Juve Go and use them both daily. The book of the month for February is Cancer and the New Biology of Water by Dr. Tom Cowan. Hands down, my personal favorite book of 2019. Keep in mind, all the links, discount codes, and special offers for the product, supplement, and book will be listed in the show notes on iTunes, post on social media, and our weekly newsletter, and on our website at www.beyondyourwildestgenes.com at the Listen Now tab. Thanks for listening. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Beyond Your Wildest Genes podcast. I'm your co-host today, Dr. Mike Akinfora, and today I'm thrilled to have with me on the show Julianne Cairns. Julianne, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me on the show. Oh, we're thrilled. Julianne's written a phenomenal book, and, and as I said in our little preamble before we went live, that she's written some stuff. Uh, her book is The Abundance Code, How to Bust Through the Seven money myths for a rich life now um she's written this and there are things in here and you guys know i love to read but she's written some things that i've never heard of before and i had to get julianne on the show so she can share with you so she's the author of the of the top selling book as i said the abundance code um it's published by hay house and uh that will be in the show notes folks and she's the creator and director of the documentary the abundance code and the ceo of an online financial market education company based in sydney australia called trading pursuits group julie has over 25 years of experience in finance and entrepreneurship and has built a successful eight-figure business it's her life mission to help people access greater abundance by showing them how to bust through their limiting beliefs about money, wealth, and success. Julie, welcome to the show. Thanks. It's great to be here. It is. I'm, I'm thrilled. I can't wait to dive in um, to, to your story and what, what you've written in this great book. So tell the, the first question we ask is tell people your story. Tell people how you got here. All right. So let me just, I have to go all the way back to my childhood for you to understand where the inspiration for the book came from. So I grew up in Canada. I live in Australia now, and both my parents are actually Australian, but uh, my brother and sister and I were all raised in Canada. And my father was a very successful surgeon, and my parents had also invested quite well in real estate. So for the first eight, nine years of my life, I had a very, very prosperous upbringing. So my parents were quite wealthy. Um, they had a beautiful architect design lakefront mansion. Um, they own their own airplanes, collecting art. My brother went to a very private, uh, exclusive private boarding school. Um, and when he was attending there, uh, Prince Andrew went there at the same time. So you get some idea of, you know, the level of wealth that was going on. There was really nothing I could have wanted. <laughs> you know, I had everything that I could want in life. Um, and then when I was about eight or nine, 
my parents started to drink quite heavily, and maybe we'll talk a little bit later about why I think things came unstuck for them. Um, but they started to, dr- to drink quite heavily and sort of spiraled down into a bit of an alcoholic uh, downward spiral. Life started to fall apart. And when I was 11, they broke up. That was all quite traumatic and dramatic. And I ended up living with my mother, who declared bankruptcy. So somehow along the way, all the money had been lost. Uh, My sister and my father moved back to Australia. Uh, My brother was seeing out the year at boarding school. So all of a sudden, I'm just me and my mom and on welfare, and she's declared bankruptcy. So I often say it was like, like getting the worst possible role in a game of snakes and ladders, you know, like just all of a sudden slid all the way down to the bottom of this socioeconomic uh, pile. And it was a total shock for me. Um, I, that time was just very traumatic and I wasn't coping very well. When I was sort of 13, I started smoking dope and, cutting school and hanging around with the rough crowd and binge drinking a bit. I was kind of going down the wrong path. And I I don't really know why, but at some point, at about the age of 15, I kind of shook myself and said, hey, nobody's going to do this for you. You know, you've experienced having wealth and you've experienced the polar opposite. Um, And I knew that I preferred being wealthy. So at 15, I sort of went, okay, it's up to you now, kid. Um, So I started to get very serious about studying. And um, in the end, I I moved to Australia when I was 16 to live with my father, Uh, studied really hard at school, got into a good university, um, did an honors degree in economics and finance. So my whole mission was I want to be wealthy so I'm going to study what I think you you know I'm going to take the path that's laid out for me by society and by the education system to wealth which was study the stock market I thought and uh, so I did economics finance I got a scholarship to go and study in Japan I studied the Japanese stock market did a master's of finance and business administration and then I went into merchant banking so, you know, that's that's kind of the standard path. And it did kind of work for me. I also started investing in real estate. And uh, so, you know, if you go back to the snakes and ladders analogy, I was climbing the ladder again. And um, but what I didn't realize that I came to realize later was that I had some limiting beliefs and. I ended up sabotaging my success, even though I had made a lot of money through investing in real estate. And at one point, my partner and I had 30 investment properties. So at that point, we could have just down tools and been set up for the rest of our lives. Right. Um, But for some reason, I decided that wasn't enough. And we were going to invest in uh, takeaway Indian restaurants, which I knew nothing about. I knew nothing about fast food and uh, a, a chain of five flower shops. Also, I knew nothing about flower shops. And 
I chose these two businesses where everything is perishable. Um, if you don't sell the stock, you know, it's, uh, it's just gone. It's, it's ruined. And also fairly uh, cash-based businesses, so you have to have very good inventory controls and controls over the cash register or people will just end up stealing from you. And we didn't do any of that. So we, we managed to torch a lot of our wealth on these two crazy projects that we knew nothing about. Um, so back down the snake again. <laughs> and uh, so at this point, I kind of went, okay, well, I think the problem was a problem of knowledge. You know, I didn't know enough about those businesses, so I should focus back on what we know. And my partner and I were both experts in the stock market. So we, we had started a company teaching people how to trade the financial markets. So we focused on that, built up that business that was going well, borrowed a bunch of money to expand the business. And then the global financial crisis hit in 2008. And we had this debt that we needed to roll over, the short-term debt we borrowed to expand the business. And no bank in the world would, would lend to us. So at this point, you know, about to go back down the snake again. And this, this time I was really on the edge of bankruptcy. And it kind of shook me awake. And I'm like, wait a minute, what is going on? What is this crazy gain and loss cycle that I'm experiencing? And I recognized, you know, a feeling of terror in the pit of my stomach. And for some reason, I just asked myself the question, wow, when's the first time I felt this? And I realized I'd felt it when I was 11 and my parents had broken up. And I went, wow, wait a minute. Am I, am I stuck on this cycle of gain and loss, gain and loss, because that's the pattern I experienced in my childhood with my parents having all this wealth and then losing everything. Am I, am I stuck in this cycle because I think that that's how the world goes? And that moment was a bit of an epiphany for me. Mm. And I, yeah, huge epiphany. And I started to become interested in the subconscious mind and read very heavily uh, someone had given me a great book called The Power of Your Subconscious Mind by Joseph Murphy. Uh, I don't know if you've ever read that book. I have not. Um, it was written in 1963, and it's a, it's a great one. It's a bit of a classic. So that got me on the track of understanding that not all of our decisions in life are based on rational, conscious um, reasoning. That sometimes, in fact, most times, we make our decisions based on our subconscious um, beliefs and our subconscious urges. Um, and so I suddenly became aware that I had all of these beliefs about money and success and wealth that had come from my childhood. And then at the same time, I was obviously involved in a business teaching thousands of people how to grow their wealth through trading financial markets. And it was actually my one of my jobs in the business was supporting the clients who were having a difficult time applying the teachings. And over and over I would find for them, the problem was not in desire. They definitely had a burning desire to create wealth. The problem was not in knowledge. Um, we had taught them well, and they had learned the same thing that all of our other clients had learned about trading markets. 
It was not in opportunity. They had the same markets to trade as everybody else did, people who were making it work. That usually when people weren't making it work, it was because they were doing sabotaging behaviors. Um, like they wouldn't follow the, follow the rules or they do something. It wasn't always the same thing, but they do something to sabotage their success so that even though they had all the other conditions that other people had, they would have failure where other people were experiencing success. Mm. So that got me really thinking deeply on this topic. And through my work with my clients and also my own experience, I was able to identify what the top seven limiting beliefs about money are and where they came from and how to change them. And that's what I decided to write my book about because I'd seen and I, I thank you for your compliment that you read things in my book that you haven't seen in any, any other book. That was also my experience. I read a lot about how to change subconscious beliefs, but I hadn't read very much about, well, what are they? <laughs> what are the beliefs you need to change? And how do you go about doing that? There wasn't, there wasn't a lot of systemized um, thinking on that topic. Let me ask you a question um, before we get into this. When when you brought this up, like it, it's not the desire, it's not the knowledge, it's not the opportunity, but it's sabotaging behaviors. When when you were able to talk with these folks, did the, like for me, the light bulb went off. It was kind of like, I don't know if you remember that movie um, with Kevin Cosner, uh, Field of Dreams, where the brother-in-law is yeah. like, you know what what are you talking about you need to sell this and and right. all of a sudden the the his niece falls and he saves her and he turns around and says ah, when did all these ball players get here like reading right. your book the light bulb went off for me like holy moly so when you were when you talked to people was it the same like oh my god <laughs> kind yeah. of thing it, yes uh, for a lot of people um you know, they don't realize that subconscious beliefs are governing their behavior. Um, and like the analogy I come up with is, imagine you have a glass table and you have a figurine on top of the table, right? Mm -hmm. And then you have a magnet underneath the table so that it's like a metal figurine and you've got a magnet under the table. Uh, what's really going on is that the magnet, which represents our subconscious mind, is really moving the figurine. So the magnet goes left, the figurine goes left. The magnet goes right, the figurine goes right. On the conscious level, we say to ourselves, so we're the figurine, we say, I think I'm going to go left. But it's actually after the magnet's already started going left that we say that. Mm. You know, we do an ex post kind of rational justification of what our subconscious mind is already getting us to do. So we might say, hey, I... You know, there's something I want over on the left side here. I'm going to go left. But it's it's just justifying what's already happening. Mm. And when you when you become aware that actually there's this magnet, there's this subconscious programming and it's doing most of the decision making, um, then you can you can get in there and you can reprogram that code. And I do think that belief change is like a like a mental software update, basically. Um, you can actually get into the code and you can update it so that your subconscious um, is aligned with what you consciously want. 
what often happens is on the conscious level, we want something. So we say, I would like to be, I want to be wealthy. And then subconsciously, we might have a belief like um, money is easy come, easy go. So we never actually get to our wealth objective because we make money and lose it. And then we make money and goes out on bills or we make money and we find a way for it to leave our life just as quickly as it's as it's entered. And that's one belief that's very, very common. Or say you have a, a desire, a conscious desire that you don't want to work very much. You want to have plenty of money and uh, plenty of time to go on holidays and be on the beach. But at the same time, you have a subconscious belief that you have to work hard for your money. And so then what people find is they never get to that holiday lifestyle that they want because they're always working hard for every dollar that they make. So those are just examples of how your subconscious beliefs can be out of alignment with what it is that you consciously want. And when when, the, when that happens, the subconscious belief wins every time. Every time. Yeah, because the subconscious is like... So coming back to the computer analogy, right? If, if your subconscious beliefs are like your software, um, it's operating in a, in a kind of 500-bit processor environment, let's say, whereas your conscious mind only has access to a 50-bit processor. So, you know, the automated systems in your brain are just way more powerful um, than, than, the conscious, than the conscious mind systems. Got it. Got it. All right. So you, you highlighted two of the seven, um, but I just want to back up for a minute. And, and can you just cover basically what our belief framework is? You know, the, the thing that you yeah. wrote is, I'll believe it when I see it. And then let, let's go from there. And we can work yeah. on we can work on my limiting belief, which is money is easy come, easy go. Right. Okay, cool. Um, which is a very, very common one, by the way. And I have a, I have a really good switch out for that one. So we'll, we'll come back to that. Good. So essentially, you know, the automated systems in our brain, and which is where our, our subconscious belief programs are residing, uh, we have something called the reticular activating system. And it's basically the system that allows us to sort the incoming um, information into our brain, into what we think is important or relevant or useful. Um, and that essentially is things that we believe to be true, um, things that we believe to be important, and things that we believe to be relevant. So a lot of people have had the experience where, when they decide to buy a new car and they're thinking about what kind of car they want to buy, and all of a sudden, they start seeing those cars everywhere on the road. Have you ever had that experience? Sure. And that is actually the reticular activating system at work. So when you're thinking about buying the car and you're thinking about what model you want to buy, uh, you've told your brain, please sort the incoming information for that model of car. And then you just start seeing them more often because your brain is sorting for that. So that applies to every every bit of information, really. There's way too much information for our brain to take in at any one time, so we have to have fairly ruthless sorting mechanisms 
so that our brain doesn't become overwhelmed. So it's basically the case that whatever you believe <coughs> to be true, you sort for evidence of that. And you chuck out evidence to the contrary. So you see what you believe. You don't believe what you see. You only actually see the things that you already believe to be true. Gotcha. Yeah. So it's very important to know what are you sorting for. Because if you are sorting, if you want success, you better be sorting for opportunities for that success. If you're not sorting for opportunities, if you're sorting instead for risks or for things that you're afraid of, which a lot of people do, you're not going to see the opportunities. You're just absolutely not even going to see them. So you certainly can't act upon them. Cool. What you wrote, which just to summarize what you just said, which I think is brilliant, you wrote, what do you believe? If we deeply believe something at a subconscious level, then even if we consciously wish things could be different, the power of our subconscious mind ensures that our beliefs get reaffirmed again and again in our everyday experiences. In this way, our subconscious beliefs can actually sabotage our conscious efforts to manifest change. Yes. And I am speaking, you are speaking to the vast majority of people. Yes, absolutely. I, I, I believe that we are here to self-actualize, to manifest to our highest level of being. And yet the subconscious gets in the way almost all the time for us. It can. It can definitely get in the way. The, the, the flip side is when you get your subconscious mind on board and the coding in your subconscious belief system in alignment with what you consciously desire, then the, the, the acceleration you'll experience with respect to achieving your desired outcomes is so breathtaking that it can feel like a miracle. I, I love that. So I don't want to give away the whole book, but could you go through each myth and then we'll pick out like one or two, and I know it's not always about me, um, but we could definitely work on that one. Sure. Okay. <laughs> so let's just to finish off that that topic about you know your beliefs. Sure. A lot of people ask when they're they want to achieve a goal they they ask well what should I do that differently what should I do that I'm not doing now so that I can achieve my goal and I think that that's the wrong question. I think that people should be asking what should I believe differently. What do I believe now that is stopping me from achieving that goal? And if I changed that belief, would make the attainment of that goal very easy. I love that. So let's go through some of the, the top seven beliefs that are stopping people with respect to money, wealth, and success. And the very first, the core belief of this, it's really a belief system, is the belief in scarcity. And that's basically the belief that says there is not enough to go around. There's not enough for everyone. And so, therefore, if I want uh, my fair share of the pie or even more than my fair share of the pie, then I need to compete with other people. And this whole idea brings up a bunch of kind of negative emotions like success 
envy. So where where when somebody else is successful, you can't be happy for them because you feel like they're taking more than <laughs> they're taking part of the pie that that you would like to have. Right. Because you're viewing this whole situation as a competition. Um, you know, sayings like uh, money doesn't grow on trees is a scarcity belief. Uh, waste not, want not. Um, when you find yourself saying things like, I can't afford it, um, and it's hard to make money, these are beliefs that are rooted in this idea that there's not enough to go around. And the flip side to that belief is believing that there's more than enough to go around, that actually we're living in a system of abundance. Um, and... You know, one of, one of the ways when you're, when you're challenging or you want to change your beliefs, there are actually three steps to go through. Um, and the first step is identify the limiting belief. Mm. And that can be the hardest step for people because they don't, these are subconscious beliefs. They're below the level of their conscious awareness. So it can be hard to grab onto. And that's part of the reason I wanted to identify what are the top seven limiting beliefs because if you get those seven limiting beliefs uh, sorted out and unlimit them, that's kind of 80% of the battle, 90% of the battle for some people. So the first step is identify the belief. The second step is to weaken it. So we want to insert doubt into the absoluteness of that belief. So people who think money doesn't grow on trees and it's hard to make money and I'll never be able to afford my own home or, you know, who are saying things like that, it's important to question that and say, well, is that actually true? Um, Is it true that it's hard to make money? Is that true for everyone? Aren't, Aren't there examples of people out there who have found it very easy to make money? Is it true all the time? Have I even experienced times when it's easy to make money? Um, Even though I may have gone on to sabotage myself and make that money disappear again, have have I never experienced money flowing to me easily? Um, So we just start to to argue the counter case. And with scarcity, the biggest counter case I've, I've ever come up with is, you know, the fact that we live on a planet with the sun beating down on us, sending, uh, the estimate is, 5,000 times more energy per minute than we currently are using. So 5,000 times more energy is coming to our planet that we're not capturing than we currently need to do everything that we're doing and serve the entire population. And... We are getting better at capturing that energy through solar cell technology. So it's not actually a big leap to say we're living in a virtually limitless, abundant system. Um, But we don't believe that, do we? And our whole economic system is not based on that idea at all. So it's interesting. As a collective society, we don't seem to believe that. But just because everybody believes in scarcity, it doesn't actually mean that it's true. So that's important thing to realize. Okay, so the second myth is that time is money. 
so that the only way for us to make more money is to exchange our time for it. Um, so in terms of weakening this myth, obviously this is not true for everyone. Um, some people make money by having their money make more money for them. They have investments and rental properties or they have money invested in the stock market or in businesses. They have employees who are trading their time so that they get to leverage time, labor time. So there's lots of ways to divorce yourself from the time equals money constraint. But And yet most people don't. Most people out there are exchanging time for, you know, dollars. Mm. And that's the paradigm that they're working within. And it is true. There are only 24 hours in a day. <laughs> yeah. So, you know. That is, that's not a belief. That's, that seems to be a fact. <laughs> so the only way to divorce yourself from the time is money constraint is to make sure that, um, you know, it's not just your time being exchanged for dollars, that you leverage it somehow. Okay. So the third myth is the idea that your worth as a person is somehow tied to the work that you do. So this is where the idea you have to work hard for your money comes from. Um, our entire education system is really based around this one where, you know, your level of education determines, you know, how much an hour of your time is worth. So if you're, you know, a fast food worker, you're going to get minimum wage, whereas if you're a surgeon, you know, you're going to get way more depending on your level of education. But this in itself is still just a paradigm. There are ways to ensure that, you know, the work that you do is actually worth what you say it's worth. Um, so, you know, one of the ways to do this is to, to leverage what you do. So if you book writing is an example, I, I write the book once but I get paid for it over and over again. So, you know, there's a passive income stream associated with the book. Similarly, if I, if I do an online course, I might record that once and yet I can sell it over and over again. So it's not necessarily the case that there has to be a limit on how much my work is worth. Cool. Okay, so the fourth myth is that it takes money to make money. So this kind of comes from the uh, the rich get richer while the poor get poorer idea, where if you didn't have money to start with, then you're kind of locked out of the system, um, and you know there's no way to break through. Uh, you need money to get started, and if you don't have it, you're kind of too bad. Um, and this is also also definitely not true. Um, I think it's certainly true that everybody starts where they're at and not everybody starts at the same place. You know, that's that's absolutely true. Some people start with more money and more opportunities than other people. But there is this wonderful thing in investing called compounding returns, which is where you invest your money for a positive return. And then the return that you make, you reinvest 
so you're never taking money out of the investment. You're only ever reinvesting the returns back into the investment. So your overall investment pot grows. And then you're re- earning returns on your returns. And when you keep doing that, uh, you access the power of compounding returns, which allows you to access exponential growth in your investments. So you can snowball your investment capital over time using compounding returns. So although it does take money to get a little bit of money to get started, you can catch up quickly because a lot of people don't do compounding. Um, They don't reinvest. They spend their returns. So if you don't do that, if you reinvest instead, you can catch up very quickly. Cool. All right. Now your favorite myth. Yes. Money is easy come, easy go. This Mm -hmm. is the fifth myth. Another way of saying it is money in, money out. Uh, Sometimes you hear people say, I take one step forward and two steps back. This is all the same sort of belief that, you know, when I make money, when it flows into my life easily, it goes very quickly on bills or, or, you know, it just leaves my life somehow. And um, I definitely had this one. This was part of my gain loss cycle. And, you know, it's in different degrees for different people. I think because I'd grown up in a wealthy family, I knew that uh, a high degree of wealth was possible. But I still had money is easy come, easy go in my belief system. And so my gain and loss cycle was millions of dollars at a time. It was quite extreme. Whereas for most people, although they might have a gain and loss cycle in place, it may seem less extreme. It's just sort of, you know, month to month, they never seem to get ahead. So that's definitely one you can change. And um, I'll go through in a minute how, how you, a method, a very simple method that you can do to switch out a belief um, and what a good switch out for this one is. So cool. myth number six is, and I think I also had this one in place, was that money won't make you happy. And the thing about the subconscious mind is, you know, people can argue, well, money doesn't make you happy. You know, other it's really other things that make you happy. And money can facilitate your happiness, maybe, but it doesn't make you happy. And the thing about the subconscious mind is it's not very sophisticated. <laughs> like, um, you know, a lot of computer programming, like one small slip in the code can make a massive difference. And it's like that with the with the subconscious mind. So saying money doesn't make you happy, but other things can make you happy and money can help you, that's all fairly subtle concepts. Whereas the subconscious mind just tends to code it as money does not equal happy. <laughs> right? Yeah. And so if money does not equal happy, that's not actually very far from money equals unhappy. You know, like it's it's not difficult to for the subconscious mind to miscode that. So I think that that's often what happens is that um, people people actually believe that money will make them unhappy. And you can see this come out in sayings like more money, more drama, Mm. Um, more money, more problems and money can't buy me love. And, you know. Often I hear people who have money saying, I don't know who to trust. 
I don't know who loves me just because of my money or who who's with me just because of my money and who truly loves me. Uh, so it's definitely a fairly prevalent, prevalent belief. Sure. But it can be changed. And then the big daddy final belief um, that most people have is that money will corrupt your soul. So money will somehow turn you into a bad person. Someone who's like, you know, a miser or Ebenezer Scrooge type. Mm-hmm. You know, where all they care about is money and they've lost their compassion and humanity and all that sort of stuff. So this is this is very very strongly programmed in our religious systems um, often. That, you know, there's many sayings in Christianity about, uh, you know, it's harder for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. Mm-hmm. You know, um, what what is it worth gaining the whole world and losing your soul? You know, sayings like that speak to this myth that if you had a lot of money, you'd somehow be corrupted by it. So a lot of people are scared of having money because they're scared of the person they'll become if they have money. And therefore, they don't ever allow themselves to to have significant amounts of money. <laughs> when the truth is money is a is very powerful um, if you want to have greater impact, if you want to uh, do good work in the world, if you want to change things that you believe are unjust or that, you know, you're just not you're you're not in alignment with having money can pave the way for you to have greater impact so it's actually one of the things that it can allow you to actualize uh, what it is you want to do in life in the most in a very powerful way and yet a lot of people deny themselves that opportunity because they think they're going to suddenly change somehow i love it okay so those are the seven money myths and as i said with with changing beliefs, it's very important that you follow the three steps. So the first step is identify the belief. The second step is weaken the belief. And then the third and final step is to overwrite the belief or replace it with a new belief. Now, a lot of people, a lot of people skip to the third step without doing the first two steps. So, you know, in the third step, there are uh, things like saying affirmations or doing vision boards, or, you know, listening to hypnosis tracks. Um, There's quite a few different techniques in that third replace the belief step. But if you haven't done the first two steps, uh, they tend not to work in a permanent way, the third step. So it might work for a little while, but then it kind of breaks down. Um, It's kind of like, I say, like if you were putting wallpaper on a moldy wall and you didn't clean the mold off the wall first you just put the wallpaper on top it would look good for a little while but that mold would continue to grow underneath and eventually it would poke through so it's like that with belief change where if you don't do the first two steps of clearly identify the belief and weaken it then the third step of overriding often doesn't work mm-hmm. so having said that uh, with your with your money is easy, come easy, go belief. Um, 
I'm going to assume that you've done the first two steps. So you've mm-hmm. identified the belief and you have argued the counter case. You have weakened the hold on your mind of that belief. Absolutely. Okay, and then we progress to the third step. And a very simple version of the third step is something I call the sleepy mind method. And that is where you take your new belief, so you design a new belief that's not going to limit you. Mm-hmm. And with money is easy come, easy go, a really simple substitution is money is easy come, easy grow. Love it. So this allows for the idea that money comes into your life easily and it continues to grow. Um, that doesn't mean that none flows out, just that your overall wealth continues to grow. You could be even more specific and say money flows into my life easily and my wealth grows and grows. So you choose the belief you want to use to uh, replace mm-hmm. the, and then... Put it on a card, like just a little index card or even a a sticky note, and put it beside your bed. And then when you're falling asleep at night and you want to have, you want to get into that kind of groggy, almost half asleep state because the veils are parted more at that time. You have more direct access to your subconscious mind when you're in that kind of groggy state. Mm Mm-hmm. Then you pick up the card and you repeat it to yourself three or four times out loud. And then put it down and go to sleep. And then when you first thing in the morning when you wake up and you're still kind of groggy, you pick it up and you do the same thing. Read it out loud three or four times and then put the card down and get on with your day. If you do that for about a week, you'll, you'll find that you'll make huge progress with that belief. I love that. That's brilliant. Super simple. (laughs) Super simple. I have that, you know, I do morning affirmations, morning gratitude, and um, I've already incorporated that when when I read your book, um, uh, that, you know, I I like it even better. Money is easy come, easy grow. There is something something more uh, magical to me about that. Whether it's the rhyming of it, but uh, I'm yeah, gonna, I'm gonna rhyming. That. Rhyming is actually a, a very good technique with the subconscious mind. Mm-hmm. So if you can turn your affirmation into a rhyme, it's it just sticks quicker. Cool. Yeah. Well, Julie, I am very cognizant of your time. I really appreciate you taking uh, your your time today to share with our audience. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to impart before we leave? Sure. Um, I'd like to tell you about what happened for me when I did this. Oh, um, yeah. Go ahead. Lay it on us. So uh, back in 2008, I'm on the verge of bankruptcy. My company owed $3 million. Um, and as I said, no one would, no bank would refinance us. And... Um, I worked very heavily on my subconscious beliefs at that time, and I think it now, in hindsight, was the best thing I could have done. So from 2008 to 2012, the four years following the global financial crisis, we managed to turn that $3 million debt around into $3 million in cash in the bank um, during a time that was basically a recession. 
Uh, so it wasn't a fantastic time for business. And I know now that the only reason we were able to have such an amazing turnaround is because the work that I did on my subconscious beliefs allowed me to see opportunities that I would not have seen otherwise. Um, so there's lots of things we did to achieve that turnaround in a practical sense. Uh, but the main, the main point I'd like to make is that without rewiring my beliefs, I would not have seen any of those opportunities. I would have been completely stuck in my fear and I think I would have gone bankrupt. Mm. That is amazing. Uh, and, and it's relatable. And as I tell folks, if one person can do it, it means it can be replicated. That's just a scientific method. It, it It's brilliant. I, I love the book. I love everything um, that you've written. I really enjoyed our time. Um, could you tell folks where they can find you in the world? Sure. So you can go to, well, you can find the book, The Abundance Code, on Amazon. Mm -hmm. So that's the simplest way to find it yep. by Julianne Cairns. I also have a site for the book called theabundancecodebook.com. You can go there and sign up for a series of five uh, free videos about the seven money myths. Mm -hmm. There's nothing for sale on the site. Once you sign up, you'll also get my weekly blog. Um, but really, like, there's no upsell, which is often the case when you go to someone's site and put your email address in. So just to rest assured that <laughs> there's none of that. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, otherwise. Um, what about your uh, what about your class that you teach in Australia? Right. So right now I'm working on a startup business, which is an app, an app that teaches people how to trade financial markets in a gamified setting. So that's still in startup phase. We're just cool. beta testing that. So that's not quite ready to release to the public. Awesome. And um, also my film, which is also called The Abundance Code. You can check that out at theabundancecode.com. Um, and that's, I've gone and interviewed 15 or 16 different thought leaders in this field, like, um, John Asaroff and John Demartini and Jeff Walker, a bunch of different people who all have made this journey from scarcity thinking to abundance thinking in their life. And it kind of tells their stories of how they achieved the change. That's really cool. Uh, John, John Demartini is a, a good friend of Beyond Your Wildest Gene. So he's right. been on the podcast and been... Um, been on our summits so and we've all and we've all done um the breakthrough experience as well which is really cool i'm i have so much respect for him he's amazing absolutely well folks if you like what you heard please do us a favor and go to itunes and leave a review you can also check us out on our brand new youtube channel for those who do not have itunes and uh, you can look it up there so Everything that Julianne spoke about will be in the show notes, and uh, we will definitely have a link to Amazon for you to pick up her amazing book. Thank you again, Julianne. It is my pleasure to speak to you today, and we'll see you soon, everybody. Ciao. Hello, it's Dr. No, and I'm back. I suspect you loved listening to this week's podcast release. 
Our book of the month is simply incredible, and in our estimation, a book everyone needs to read. Cancer and the New Biology of Water by author Dr. Thomas Cowan should be on your super short list. Dr. Cowan has been on our podcast twice, once to talk about Dr. Cowan's garden, his nutrient-dense, nutrient-diverse vessel powders, and most recently on November 11, 2019, to discuss his newest book. The link to purchase the book will be in our weekly newsletter and on our social media posted and sent throughout the entire month. Our product of the month is the Juve Red Light Therapy Device. Photobiomodulation has been shown to assist with pain and inflammation release, fitness, training, and muscle recovery, and hormone regulation to highlight a few of its near countless benefits. As I mentioned, I own a Juve Mini and Juve Go and use them every day. My skin has never looked better, and I certainly recover faster from my workouts. On October 8th, 2018, I interviewed the co-owner, Scott Nelson. I highly encourage you to listen and learn more about all the benefits of red light therapy using the Juve. The supplement of the month for February 2020 is vitamin D3 boost. It is pretty mainstream now how important vitamin D3 is to your overall health and wellness. What is not mainstream is the nutritional facts that vitamin D3 needs a few other cofactors, vitamins, and minerals to enhance its effectiveness. Recognizing this, we set out to formulate the gold standard for vitamin D3 supplement. Vitamin D3 Boost has the most active form of vitamin D, as well as vitamin K2, magnesium, and a little bit of MCT oil to enhance the absorption of these fat-soluble vitamins. This is truly a world-class vitamin D3 formulation. You can check out the spec sheet and research articles on our website. The 10% discount code for the month of February, and remember, it's K-sensitive, it's V-I-T-D-10. Thank you for your time. Thank you for listening, and be awesome and never unawesome.